Welcome to The Millionaire's Lawyer, where you'll hear leading professionals share expert advice on how to grow your business and sell it for maximum profitability. If you want to learn lawyer-proven strategies for building and exiting your business, then this is the podcast for you. Your host, J.P. McAvoy, is a business lawyer, college professor, and best-selling author who has been assisting clients start, grow, and sell their businesses for millions of dollars for over 15 years. Will yours be the next? Now here's your host, J.P. McAvoy. Hello, hello. Welcome to The Millionaire's Lawyer. Thank you for joining us here today. Uh, really happy to have on a friend and fellow lawyer, Ian Pryor of Pryor Tax Law. He is an accountant and a lawyer, as you'll hear about, and uh, he spends a lot of time working with other professionals and organizations, helping them assist their common clients with tax planning and areas of expertise that are known to him, specifically tax. Ian's been a great resource to me over the years, and I'm very happy to have him on the show here today with us. Ian, thanks so much for joining us here today. It's it's been a long time coming. I've I've wanted you on the show. We've worked together for years. Your background and expertise are essential to uh, the people I work with. You've always been a great, I always say bench strength for me, and I always appreciate all the work you've done that way. We're going to try not to bore people with this conversation. Of course, we won't, Ian. It's just you know you put an accountant and a lawyer together. It's typically a fairly boring conversation. If you have an accountant and lawyer as one person, which is what we perhaps we could call you, well, I don't know what do we call that. I'll leave it. I'll leave it to you to answer that question because you've probably been doing that all your life. Yeah, extra boring, right? <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I grew up my uh, my old man or my father's a, an accountant. I got thrown to the wolves at a very young age doing bank reconciliations or something when I was 12 years old and he never let me get out of that <laughs> that's right out of that area so uh, that's where it all started and and I just kind of I tried to get out several times and kept getting dragged back in so I've I've now finally accepted it and uh, we're moving we're rolling forward with exactly it. you just you just accept and move forward and, and you thought that perhaps the law would be an escape from that uh, that type of regimen it's kind of interesting you chose it at one point that's exactly right yeah no and I uh, I did my uh, my bachelor of commerce in a, and I was with a focus in accounting and uh, I just got really bored with it, to be honest with you. As soon as they told me I had to audit for two years, that was me done. So uh, I started looking around and, and I actually left school and took a year off before I graduated and worked for a high tech company in the accounting department. I worked for an accounting firm doing tax returns. And over that year and over several years, I always thought the most interesting people in the room were always the lawyers. So when I graduated with my BCom, I thought, okay, well, what am I going to do now? I know I don't want to do accounting. So what am I going to do? So I thought law would be a good escape to take me down a different path and went to law school. There you go. And so, uh, hopefully it's sometimes the lawyers are still the most interesting people in the, in the room. I know that's not <laughs> always the case, especially at home. Uh, my wife will tell me that's not the case, but uh, just the reality, all joking aside, your skill set, I mean, the combination of accounting and legal is invaluable to clients. Those that aren't as well versed in some of the type of work that you do for those clients and perhaps even our common clients, how would you describe your practice now? What are some of the things that we've worked on together for, uh, for common clients? What we have set up here is uh, we're like a tax planning and estate planning boutique. So we do a lot of high level planning. We do mainly everything this side of public corporation work. So mostly private corporations are always private corporations, but then it morphs into the ultra high net worth, high net worth families. And, and we help other professionals. So in our perfect world, we're always sitting at the table with the client and then their advisors. So their lawyer, their accountant, 
you know, their insurance advisors, whoever it may be, and we work together with them. And, and our role is usually to help put a plan or a structure in place and then work with those people to make sure nothing's missed, but also get the best solution for the, for the client. And ensure that, or talk to them about putting the plan in place and using it effectively move on a go forward basis as well, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you're right. Like that gets missed a lot. There's lots of things we, we see. Sometimes it's the wrong structure. Sometimes it's the right structure, but the client's weren't properly versed Mm -hmm. in how to use it properly. And so we have several of those right now where, you know, clients have chugged along with a pretty decent structure, but they've never used it right. And so, you know, we've got to go back and try and clean up 10 years worth of doing things the wrong way with the right structure. That's right. Yeah. And I've, I've sat in, in some of those meetings and even the early structuring meetings where we're sitting there as a team trying to identify what some of the options are, let's call it that, because we know that uh, things continue to evolve. And I guess we're worried that they'll continue to evolve in a way that's not very good for the high net worth individual. What are some of the things that you're, um, you know, ear the ground hearing and uh, think that might come from subsequent budgets and things that we're going to see to maybe try to claw back some of the spending that's occurred? Oh, wow. I'm going to hear about this one for a few years after the fact. Um, <laughs> we In the tax community, we've always thought we had a pretty good feel for what was coming or we thought it was going to be maybe A or maybe B, uh, but we had some idea. I'd say over the last few years, our crystal ball has gotten really foggy. And with COVID now, it's it's like throwing darts, right? The one thing that's kind of universally accepted is that with all the spending, they're going to have to do something. And we've heard a whole bunch of different things. I'm not sure in the Canadian landscape, and this is the world over, right? This isn't just Canada. This is the US. This is the the European Union. I think everybody universally thinks they're going to be either increasing tax rates or coming up with new ways to tax people. I won't guess at what those are, but I I think it's inevitable. And, And one of the things that seems to really carry the day on the political side is trying to say, we're going to get more money from the wealthy people who already pay, you know, over 80% of the tax bill already. But I think that's probably universally supported, except for all those people that are part of that group. Right. So I think most people expect something like that is coming. But in what form that's coming? You know, your guess is as good as mine. Yeah, we'd be guessing right now, right? Uh, So we've been saying the same thing. I mean, expect that there will be something. Uh, mm-hmm. And we'll obviously deal with it when we when we know or there is some clarity. Are there things that you suggest to people uh, that they ought to be doing right now? So current environment, mm-hmm. how, you know, what steps should uh, somebody that's proactive about, you know, all their tax planning in particular, what should they be thinking about? So this won't be unique for COVID times, but we're always telling people, you've got to plan in advance. You've got to do these things think ahead and then revisit them. You know, we say, you know, three to five years, but if there's a big change in life circumstance or, or your business prospects or the line of business, you've got to sit down and redo it because it's better to chip away like that or maintain than it is to wait a decade and have to tear it down and rebuild. It's not as efficient. It's more expensive. It takes more time, all those things, right? It just takes commitment from people. So we've been saying that forever. One thing that we're seeing, and this is more of a trend than a recommendation, but with COVID, you know, the economy is, there are certain industries that are still moving very well. Some have slowed down, some are really suffering, but 
what we have seen is that the clients, particularly in the high net worth space, have taken this as an opportunity to look at their estate planning. Mm -hmm. More than their corporate structuring or their corporate planning, they're spending more time thinking about, well, what happens if, right? And how do we put this in place to make sure you know, we leave behind what we want to leave behind or what is our exit strategy? And we've had lots of people shift, for lack of a better term, you know, that their plan was to put in five more years and they've just said, you know what, with all the regulation and the increasing tax rates and now the economy, if somebody comes along, I'll do it as soon as I can. So I think our practice has shifted a little bit over the last few months and we're not doing as much corporate planning. We're doing more estate planning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know how how long that will be, but it's an interesting it's interesting. We roll with it, right? We do both, and we can provide value uh, in both areas. But this is an area that I see for the next year, two years, maybe three years. I think the estate planning piece will be much more popular. Uh, until the economy opens up, absolutely. And people are. Conf- it seems I'm having the same conversations where people are they're confronted with their own mortality, I guess. Uh, and they're saying, okay, so what if something did actually happen to you? Or what if I did get sick? Uh, so as you say, they're making sure that they've at least done some thinking around their estate planning and making some changes around there. Uh, and maybe it's also, as you say, for the next year or two, where there's a lot of that thinking being done. And then we'll watch, you know, for the shoe to drop and figure out what the changes that uh, governments the world over are uh, making to their tax regimes. And uh, that will uh, result in a shift back to the corporate side of things as uh, uh, corporations uh, look at what they need to do. And you know the, the owners for corporations look at what they need to do. If somebody's setting up right now, again, you know, understand that we're still in this vacuum where we haven't seen that. What are some general things you say if they're setting up, you know, setting up shop, if they're creating, creating a business, uh, I'm gonna make the assumption we're talking about incorporating the business. Yeah, but don't let me be too presumptive. If somebody's setting up a business right now, uh, something that uh, is an online business, let's say even, something that can operate in the new reality, what's the conversation like with you? What do you say to them? Yeah, so most of our engagements start at the same point. You know, tell us your story. What is the business? What do you see as your revenue drivers? What are your, what are your expectations in terms of sales, expenses, margins? How many employees are you going to have? We, we start from the basics and then we build and then every single client is, is different. You know, if somebody comes in and says, well, I'm just sitting at my desk and selling widgets all over the world. Then we go down the route of, okay, well, where are the widgets made? What's the contract look like? When does ownership transfer from the manufacturer to yourself? And these are all elements we really have to spend time on because that impacts taxation and it impacts structure. And if we get somebody who's dealing outside of Canada, then we not only have Canadian law to worry about, but we have the laws in China to worry about, or we have the laws in the US to worry about. And we have to make sure we have the right people at the table to help us work through that. Oftentimes, we will quarterback that discussion and we'll have some ideas because we are familiar with a lot of the international rules, but we don't provide advice in these countries. So we have to bring in other experts around the world to help us with that. Yeah, fair enough. And that's a great way to answer that. It's assembling, again, the team, right? The right team to advise. Are you seeing, do you hear a lot of questions uh, from Canadians that are trying to increase or do more business in the, in the U.S.? Because uh, we're seeing a lot of that now. It's interesting, you know, that this, I mean, a, a lot of entrepreneurs are seeing COVID actually is creating opportunity as well. Uh, we're seeing a lot of that. How much, are you, how much of that type of thing are you seeing on your end of things? 
Yeah, we are seeing it. We, we always see it, right? As Canadian businesses grow in this marketplace, as they grow and expand, the first place or the first target is to go to the U.S. just because the market is so much bigger. So we do lots of that cross-border planning and structuring. We haven't, to be fair, I, I don't, or to be honest, I, we haven't seen as much of that as I thought we would. Hmm. Everybody is kind of waiting for that shoe to drop, right? Mm-hmm. What's going to happen? The U.S. election impacted that a lot. Everybody was waiting to see, particularly on the business side of things. President Trump was probably a little more business friendly than President-elect Biden will be. And we're presuming that. But some of the things that Biden has come out with are on the tax side are, are some fairly drastic increases in tax rates or reductions in exemption limits. So it'll be interesting to see what gets passed and what doesn't. And I think the impact there is that people are waiting to see what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. We have had a lot of people sell to American buyers. Canadian businesses sell. We've had a few people in the last six months or so looking to expand. But when we start talking to them, all the different things that we're looking at, the process starts to slow down a little bit because they always come back to, well, let's wait a little bit. Let's wait three months. Let's wait six months. And that's a delicate balance, right? Because people see opportunity. They want to run and grab it while they can. But, uh, you know, that's the cost benefit of doing things the right way versus, you know, grabbing the opportunity while it's available. And there is a sweet spot in the middle somewhere there. Yeah. As, uh, as in all things, right. There's a balance or a question trying to get the, uh, the mix right or, uh, well, execute uh, the right way. If someone, mm-hmm. you know, that in, to that end of things, if they're looking to I- expand into the U.S., a Canadian, a Canadian Canadian corporation owned by Canadians, what are some of the factors that you talk through? So like let's say, let's say if somebody wants to establish in Texas you know, or Florida, yeah. somebody saying, okay, you know what? I've got an opportunity to grow. I uh, see an opportunity in Florida. How do I get going here? What do you, what's that conversation look like with, for you? Yeah, so again, we always go back to the specifics. What's the business? Who's going to be running the business? Is let's it going to be the Canadians? Let's, yeah, let's say this is um, a, uh, well, so it's all Canadian operated and it's like, uh, what's something that we see? Like uh, like security is a, is a big area right now, right? Uh, so somebody that a number of Canadian companies are growing and saying, okay, like, you know, the security defense kind of contracts are, are quite prevalent. So they offer a service here that they're going to be offering in the States. Let's say service and uh, uh, merchandise that complements the service. Yeah, so very tricky. We probably don't oftentimes venture down the path of having the Canadian company own a U.S. company. We look at whether, and there's lots of reasons for that. We won't bore people. We'll have people asleep rather than excited. (laughs) That's right. Going back uh, to the accounting, exactly. That's right. right. And those are Canadian-driven reasons. But we have certain laws that make that, tax laws, that make that a little bit tricky. Sometimes we oftentimes will set up a sister corporation. So the Canadian and the U.S. company are sisters to each other, not owning each other. We sometimes look at joint ventures or partnerships because a lot of these businesses need Americans involved or they want Americans involved that have identified the opportunity. All that comes into play. The trick we've always faced for years is the use of LLCs, right? Mm -hmm. And you and I have dealt with that several times. Mm -hmm. Uh, Americans generally want to use LLCs and the problem in Canada is the tax treatment of those is different in Canada than it is in the U.S. And so that's something we see almost you know, weekly. Regularly. Uh, and sometimes it's fine. Sometimes it's a good structure, but oftentimes it's a problem and we have to try and manage it or find a way to deal with it. So those are all different things. In the U.S., you also look at the tax situation. If you're going to be in Florida, that's great because there's no state tax. You've just got the federal tax, right? 
in states like New York or California, you probably, you're not going to those two locations for tax reasons usually. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And as you say, it's being aware of, you know, situation in, let's say your domestic country, if it's Canadian, Canada, and then where else you intend to do business. And obviously mm -hmm. uh, U.S. being the, uh, the big elephant, the big elephant in the room as we, as we go do that. Delaware, you do a lot for Delaware as well, or steer people to Delaware? Yeah. A lot of people set up in Delaware. It's, uh, you know, that's what they hear people say at, at parties, right? So a lot of people set up in Delaware. It's, uh, it is good from a corporate law perspective. The Delaware law is friendly. But from a tax perspective, I mean, you always got to look at where you're carrying on the business, right? So you always, we always come back to that. Like, how is the business run? Who, who are the boots on the ground, if there are any? With e-commerce, it's changed everything because, you know, you got to start looking at, well, where are the people doing the work? Where are they sitting? They're all over the world, okay? Where are the servers now, right? And we have to go down that rabbit hole. And so every discussion, it's very unpredictable because every business is structured differently. And every little change in facts can change the analysis. That's partly why I'm drawn to it too, right? It's like a puzzle that uh, there isn't one size fits all answer to. You got to roll with the punches or deal with the facts that are given and what the client objectives are and try and find a solution. That's, that's just it, right? Find the best solution or the best option. It is, it's an intellectual exercise to go through what uh, is is currently occurring with the business and what it might look like as, as it evolves. We're seeing that happening right now to a large degree. I would ask a similar question. You sort of touched on it there just a second ago, Ian. Online businesses. And you're seeing so many businesses now. Uh, we've had a number of people on the show actually talking about how they are business brokers or they're helping people build and sell online businesses. Pretty interesting to talk to them and uh, hear what's occurring on the legal front because many of them, the business brokers as well, almost seem to be practicing law, whereby they give a buyer and a seller some advice as to how a transaction is occurring. They say, you can take this to your lawyer if you wish, but we can also just do this transaction this way. And it's interesting that some of these companies are operating, well, I shouldn't say some of them, these companies are operating all around the world and the online mm -hmm. businesses themselves being offered for purchase are also situated all over the world. Just interested they're meeting on the internet and actually conducting business. This will eventually, I think, make its way down to lawyers such as yourself and myself who uh, being, are being tasked with actually breaking this up into the laws of whichever prevailing nation. How would you guide somebody? And again, this is a, not a fair question for, for a lawyer. I appreciate that. But how would you guide somebody that's working with this business broker that is talking about buying a business that uh, maybe you know, through a service that's in Asia that, for a business that might be operating in Australia you know, and is in North America? So again, I'll come back to what I said at the beginning. You've got to have the right team in place right and and the one of the traits i see like we deal with a lot of successful people and, and some are like beyond success it's just wild right what these people have done the one thing i've i've learned from these people for the most part is they know what they don't know mm. and that's vital because if you think you know everything or google can tell you everything you're going to get yourself in trouble and so that's the same problem with some of these maybe not just business brokers but you know, lots of advisors. They just want to make it easy for these people to get what they want. But if you don't dot the I's and cross the T's, there's exposure or there's risk, right? And so what we would do in some of these scenarios is say, okay, you know, where are you operating? Where are you going? Who are you selling to? And, and we try to make sure we have the right people at the table in all these different places. Because, you know, I might have an idea of what the tax consequences are going to be in China, but I can't provide Chinese advice. We have to get somebody to do that, right? And not just on this 
the tax side, but on the legal side. Yep. So you have to have pe- the right people doing the right things. And we like to pretend that we can do all that, but we don't. We're the point of contact and we might be the quarterback, but we make sure we have a lot of different people helping us. The individual who thinks they know everything is always scary to me. That's a red flag for us when we're sitting in meetings and one person says, oh, we can do this and we can do that. And we know how to do this and we know how to do that. It, it, that makes me a bit a bit, uh, a bit nervous sometimes. Uh, yeah, as it, as it should be. Uh, you raise red flags or, or risks. Let's tell some war stories. I mean, uh, I guess in, well, Canadian, actually not even Canadian. I've seen, I mean, from certainly a U.S. context, but also some of the work that we've done together is, I mean, worldwide, as you say, bringing assembling people, because some of the things that we've done with dealing with Europe as well. Uh, and, you know, going back to what you said, or a theme that's emerging from this conversation is assembling the people that actually ha- are in the know and can advise for whichever jurisdiction. But what are some of the, you know, to tell war stories and without names, but some of the, uh, when we talk about these risks, we just use that sort of very broad term or to talk about what comes down, I guess it's, we're talking CRA, we're talking IRS, but what are some of the things you've seen that would be crushing to a business that people have allowed to, or maybe ignored some of the things they need to be paying attention to, uh, the consequences of doing that. Structuring on the Canada-US side is a big one, right? Somebody decides to get into business with their friend and they're going to use like the LLC, to use the example we just used. And they think they're doing, we're going to sell this and we're going to make millions and millions of dollars. And we say, yep, you will. But your tax bill is going to be 65 or 70% because you didn't do it the right way. That's a crushing blow, right? Yes. Now, that's an, a very attractive exit strategy, but in terms of sell, developing a business and selling, but how many people would have gone into that venture knowing they were only going to get 30, 30 cents on the dollar? Like very few, right? And we see that on the, the business side of things. We also see it on the estate side of things. We have Canadians that die and they've got assets in Europe, for example, and beneficiaries in Europe. We have tax in Canada on gains in Europe and some of these jurisdictions, they have tax on inheritance. So again, you're back up in the 70% range. It starts to get crazy, right? And sometimes planning can fix this. Sometimes it can't, but sometimes it also influences what you're going to do and how you're going to do it, right? And it's being aware, like as you say, uh, so getting some advice, ideally earlier on, because then it gives Mm -hmm. you an opportunity to plan it. Yeah, at least being aware, because as you say, a lot of people, they'd say, oh, if I only knew that. I mean, how many times you sit in front of a client, they're like, oh, if I only knew that. It's like, well, I'm I'm fortunate. You're here now, and now I'm advising you this. And this is what we can do as a consequence, or this is what might be left for us. But one of the big things that I see, and I know you do as well, is the lost opportunity, right? So that accrued growth or all those things that could have been managed better, but for having spoken to their advisors earlier. Can you speak to that for a minute? A lot of times people will come into our office and they'll say, look, we've run this business for 20 years. We're getting tired. We want to sell. And we say, okay, great. Is it, are there any buyers in line? And they say, no. And, but we think within a year, two years, five years, perfect. We can sit down, we can put a strategy together. Sometimes they come in and they say, we've got an offer and we're going to close in 30 days. Well, if your structure hasn't been planned in advance, your, you know, your options may be limited. So timing is important, mm-hmm. right? Plan in advance, keep, that, keep your structure fresh. The part that really... I'm seeing more of now is that we have clients who have gone out and bought a new business and they buy it in the wrong place. Well, the money was in this company. So we use that company to buy it. And then all that took was a quick conversation and, and some work to move some money around maybe, 
put the right structure in place before purchase, pre-purchase. And we end up doing it post-purchase. And it's a lot more costly to do that. So again, I'm not, I sound like a broken record, but people have to have some foresight on this and, and try to keep it fresh in their minds. If it's, this is an important aspect of their business, to stay on top of it, you know, every three years, five years, anytime something significant or material happens, that's where you got to be looking at this. And our best clients were not always that way, right? We have several clients who have sold businesses and made tons of money, but we had to rein them in on the first one, right? And they learned and we saw after the fact, we said, look, this is what it would have been. This is what it was. And they're so convinced that we end up being the first call eventually, which is great for me. I love that because I am entrepreneurial. So I love listening to the new opportunities and what we can do and how we would approach that. And it makes me feel like I'm more involved in the process. And I, and I love doing that because it's adding value for the, for the client. As yeah. Well too, right? Yeah. And it absolutely is adding value. Those are the people that have been converted. They've seen it. Mm-hmm. They realize it. So I've had a, a number of clients that they didn't appreciate it till they sold their first business. Right. And then they, they actually, mm-hmm. gra- I've had one person actually grab me and hug me and say, I didn't realize like until then, like when we talk about all this, all the things we put into place from at the family trust and flowing things out the way we've done and everything. And they're like, Oh my goodness, I didn't realize all that uh, the impact that this would actually have. And it's like, yes, well, I know you were, you know, in, in part putting some faith or some trust in us, but we were telling you back then you need to do this. And this is why, right. Mm-hmm. It's so refreshing when you get that hug or the bottle of wine or the basket, we deal in a world that isn't always that warm and fuzzy. And so when you get clients that go out of their way to do that, it's, it's very refreshing. I love that. Yeah, certainly very much so. And I guess the opposite end of the extreme is like when you're sitting in the meeting and uh, I think we've been in one of these meetings as well together where uh, the client, they understand the implications. So they, fi- it finally sinks through it. Their, their face will go red where they realize, Oh, you mean like all this is going to be taxed this way. And if I had to just yeah. done this and it's like, yes. And that's why we've been trying to get you in for the last four or five years. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Those are never as fun, right? You want, you want that, the light bulb to come on or the light to turn on before we get to the, the 11th hour. And sometimes we can manage to fix things. Sometimes we say to people, you know, can you push this closing date? Like, can we wait another six months? And sometimes that helps. Sometimes it's not possible. Again, that comes back to that cost benefit, right? Are we going to miss this opportunity? And, and what's the what's the cost, right? What's the opportunity cost of, of moving on? Is there going to be another buyer or is this the one, right? Yeah. We can work with that. There's not one way to do, there's lots of different ways to do the same thing. You just, without the planning, you just might not get the optimal result. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a range of options at any point, a, a discussion about the range of options, a decision gets made and obviously you implement. And then, as we said earlier, using it as effectively as possible through the course or whatever course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you've been doing this for a while, obviously, and you've written on this. Uh, you're involved with the uh, with STEP as well as Society of Trust and Estate Planners. What does that involvement look like? How are you uh, how are you counseling people through your involvement there? Well, so STEP is a is an organization that is worldwide now. They're in uh, I couldn't tell you how many countries now, but they're based out of the UK. But the Canadian branch, uh, STEP Canada, has been really successful and in and is. Uh, is a how-to for STEP worldwide in running it. I've spoken at several STEP events. I'm now on the STEP Canada National Tax Technical Committee. So, you know, we have bi-weekly or monthly or quarterly meetings. It changes regularly depending on what's going on. There's about uh, eight or 10 of us that get together and we talk about all the different technical issues that are coming up the pipe or down the pipe in with Canadian tax law. 
and trust law. So I'm heavily involved that way. I spent quite a bit of time at the Ottawa branch level as well, but never in the formal side of things. And I, <laughs> I, I was asked earlier in the year, I guess, I guess about a year ago now, if I would travel around and do a full day course on the taxation of trusts in the yes. States with a colleague, because we co-author a book uh, on the subject and uh, we agreed. The, we did 11 cities, eight hours per city. Wow. So it was an all day session. Uh, so that was quite a time commitment. So I'm heavily involved in STEP. I think it's a great organization. And I encourage anybody that's looking to get into the area to get involved. Great resources, great people, and good education now. that You have to get licensed, and there's a testing process and exams. Uh, and the materials that they provide in the classes are, are top-notch. Yeah, first so rate, uh, right? So yeah. you've got the step side of things. How else is your business evolving? What, else, uh, what other things are you into on the, on the professional side of things? Well, we're just trying to keep up at this point, to be honest with you. <laughs> we're, we're talking right now yeah. and it's December and that's yeah. always our busiest or one of our busiest mm-hmm. times of the year. Having spent a month and a half or two months traveling to 11 different cities in, in Canada, I lost quite a bit of time and then COVID set us back. We also do the book. So we, uh, we publish a book for Thomson Reuters uh, called The Taxation of Trust and States. So I spend quite a bit of time on that as well. So having put all that aside, we're now into a busy season in our office and we're trying to get through to New Year with, uh, with our heads above water. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I guess as you come to the end of the year, is December 31st a big date for a lot of clients? It is. I, I mean, it always is, or it's, we always expect it to be. And in some years, it, it's really busy and others it fizzles. There's always things to do, like amalgamations, there's a closing. And, and But you get surprised. Like this year is just wild. It's extremely busy. This is the busiest we've been in years because uh, most of the work that gets done throughout the year hasn't been done this year. Whether that's because clients have been trying to survive uh, or you know, fighting to change their business line or whatever the case may be, or whether it's because the accounting isn't getting done as efficiently as it has in the past. We're getting a lot of last minute stuff this year. And so it's, it's interesting. It's nice. We have few closings in the early new year. So we're getting ready for those where we've helped people structure their sale. And we have a couple others where we're structuring the purchase of a new business. So th- those are always interesting, very time demanding, um, but very interesting to be involved in. So yeah. we, we'll work with the lawyers who, who do the closings and who do the commercial side of things, but we don't get involved in that. We basically just help on the planning side, right? So again, back to the team environment, we're working with the accountants, the lawyers, we're working with everybody, just ma- trying to make sure everything gets done properly. Thinking through a number of the issues that we sort of discussed throughout uh, throughout the, this the conversation, which is great, obviously. And the more thinking and planning that you're able to do, obviously, the more options available and the better chance for success or uh, or hitting the goals, the the ultimate goals. What are some of your personal goals as we talk about wrapping up the end of the year and uh, moving into a new one? <laughs> I don't know about goals. <laughs> I actually, to be to tell a bit of a funny story, we went away. When I finished my speaking tour, we, we got on a plane and we, uh, we flew down south and uh, we were there for one day and we had to fly back because of COVID oh and my we got goodness, no yeah. money back. So it, that was painful for me, but I decided I'd try and work from home like most people have yeah. been. And that was a, uh, 
a disaster for me. <laughs> I, I couldn't do it. I didn't realize how undisciplined I was. But I don't know how many times you can watch SportsCenter in a row, but I, I'm sure I set a world record. I tried for the month of March and I was unsuccessful. So uh, I've come back into the office and I've been here for quite a while. Um, we're socially distanced and all the rest of it. We've just moved into a new office space. So we were moving locations during COVID, which was challenging as also well. Also a challenge, yeah. So a lot of my goals were, you know, survive this, get through all of this, right? We're, uh, we've got some, some new people coming on and that have joined us recently uh, that we'll be kind of announcing in the new year. So there's been lots of balls in the air. And my personal goal was very simply just to get through it, right? Yes. Uh, and come out the other side ready to, uh, to have a really successful 2021. It looks like we're going to make it, thankfully. But, you know, this last home stretch here, these last three weeks will be, will be a, bit, a bit daunting. On the personal side, you know, I have two young kids. And so we're always just trying to balance that, right? Making sure I'm uh, spending as much time as I can. And, and my two little girls play ringette, which is like a, it's a, an ice sport similar to hockey with different rules, different stick and all the rest of it. And I, uh, I somehow got roped into coaching that. So <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, it's, pretty, it's a pretty heavy time commitment there too and, and quite a different year for sure. Oh, well, like that's, there's the it's understatement, right? Yeah. As you yeah. say that, uh, and, it, and thanks for that. As you, as you talk through, like a lot of people have been in survival, right? And you talk about mm -hmm. 2020, it was what a tough year that's been, right? Yeah. And so we turned the page on the 2021 and uh, look for, and uh, hopefully uh, see, you know, us come out of this to, to a certain degree or be on the up, on the uptrend uh, and uh, uh, see some of these, uh, some of the issues we've dealt with in 2020 be uh, in the rear view mirror. And I guess mm -hmm. that's where we're going with this all now. And certainly, hopefully that becomes the story for 2021. I really appreciate having you on today. As I say, we talked uh, talked about getting you on for, for quite a while. So glad to get you on here. It's going to be interesting to see what the changes for 2021 look like. And then I guess beyond, if we're having this conversation in five years from now, Ian, uh, this mm -hmm. is a great question to ask because we may listen to this conversation in five years and revisit it then. What will we say have occurred? So bring out, I know the I know the crystal ball has been, uh, it's not quite as crystal clear as it once was, but what would you say things look like in five years from now, 2025? That's a great question. And, and I'm not sure I know the answer. We always, we always on the tax side, it, for the last few years, it looks like countries are racing to the top, right? It looks like everybody around the world is actually trying to raise tax rates. And we tend to look at it the other way and say, well, you know what? It's actually a race to the bottom. If you look at the European Union and you see, the countries that have made more tax-friendly policies or implemented more tax-friendly policies, their economy starts to boom. That's right. And so, you know, I have a different view than, than most people on this and our current regime <laughs> included. I think to spur the economy, you've got you've to encourage business, not try to milk blood from the stone, right? And so I think the interesting thing for me will be obviously e-commerce. Um, how that's going to grow, how the office space is going to change. I'm really interested in that. I, I don't think our practice will change much. People still like to come in and meet with us because it's just too technical and too complex to do over Zoom most of the time. But I'm really interested to see how that plays out. And, and then on the structuring side of things, I think people are going to be so keen to get creative and move their business or structure it differently. I think that's going to be really interesting moving forward as, as the dust settles and we see what countries are moving up and which countries are moving down. I think that's going to get really interesting. 
Yeah, and it's going to be an interesting snapshot if we were to take it from now and five years, right? How that's played out. Absolutely agree yeah. with you. I wish more people mm-hmm. did agree with you and I with respect to, as you say, cutting, right? And, and, and spur, spurring on activity as a, mm-hmm. as a consequence of, of those cuts. It'll be very, very interesting to see what that does look like in the next couple of years. And of course, we will continue to advise and, and uh, assist our clients uh, deal with whatever those changes might be. I want to end this show. I like to end my shows with one thing people can take with them through the rest of the day. It doesn't have to be business related, but one thing they can take with them through the rest of the day, through the rest of the week that would have an impact on their business or home life. What would be something you say to somebody listening right now that might be, well, listening or sitting behind the wheel of their car, or maybe uh, they're, uh, you know, sitting in their, their, in their business attire, a suit and uh, shorts. (laughs) I love that. Um, That's why I'm sitting down and not standing up. That's right. (laughs) I don't I'll enjoy what you've got. I think that's one thing I've realized, right? You look around and I get caught up in work as most of us do. Um, being successful at what we do sometimes takes a lot of our attention. And if you stop and look around, like my kids are the great, are a great example. I have to appreciate how young they are and, and how important this time is. So I'm trying to, you know, to, to do that. I'm trying to make sure that I take the time I've got to spend time with them. And on the business side, Again, I'm going back to what I've been saying, but when I look at my successful clients, it's hard because they're all very, very different people. But the one thing I've been able to identify and even encourage in some is know what you don't know. Yeah. Right. So appreciate what you've got, but but know what you don't know and, and get help when you need it. Yeah, that's great advice. And in all things, in all things, uh, Ian, thanks so much for that. Thanks so much for your time here today. Good luck in the, in the run-up to the end of this year. And I do look forward to revisiting this conversation and working with you as we have in the past. Uh, uh, we, I think uh, during part of this conversation said that, uh, uh, you know, in your past, you remember thinking sometimes that the lawyers were the most interesting person in the room. The good thing about this conversation is two lawyers, at least one of us was the most interesting in the room today, right? So we can at least say that. I don't know if the <laughs> listeners will all agree, but uh, we can uh, at least leave ourselves content for that. Thanks so much for being on the show. I look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks for listening to The Millionaire's Lawyer. Please subscribe and rate on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. To get your business millionaire assessed and to access the wide variety of resources that we offer in addition to this podcast, go to jpmcavoy.com. That's jpmcavoy.com.